Well, when a pastor comes to preach the last message at his church that he's been at for a while, it's not an easy thing to do. So I thought, well, maybe what I'll do is just read you some scripture and say, do it, you know, and, uh, and, and let it go at that. But before I actually begin with the message, I do have a message for you that's from my heart that I'd like to share. But I want to read just a couple of verses of Scripture where you know, you, I, I look through the New Testament at places where uh, the writers, in, in this case Paul both times, and then the last place where John uh, wrote kind of a final word to the people he was dealing with. And I thought, you know, how, how do you deal with, uh, with that? Because, you know, for six years, faithfully, you've, you've listened, and uh, I've preached and led Bible study, and we've talked, and... Uh, I hope that by now you, you know what my heart has been and my heart for you has been. But in Romans chapter 10, in the first couple of verses, Paul says, brethren, he's talking to the, the church at Rome. He said, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is for salvation. He wants to see people saved. Uh, in this case, he's talking about a particular group of people, but the truth is is that Paul wanted to see people come to know Christ. And the reason is, he said, because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You believe that? Yes. Just say amen. You believe that? Christ is the end of the law to everyone who believes. And uh, then Paul goes ahead and writes in Romans chapter 10 and 11 about his heart for the people that surround him, the people that uh, uh, he knows, the, the people that he knows need to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And he says, that's, that's my heart for them. And then a second place is in uh, the book of Acts. Paul is uh, in Greece, and he's decided to go to Jerusalem. And we know that this is his last trip. He's, he's going to Jerusalem, and when he gets to Jerusalem, they're going to, uh, well, that's, that's the end. He'll be arrested and end up back in, in Rome. But uh, he's, he's left Greece, and he's going back. And on his way, he uh, wanted to talk to the elders at the church of Ephesus. It was one of the churches that he had begun, and one of the churches where he had spent a lot of time, one of the churches that, that he had written that beautiful letter of Ephesians to. And the elders from the church come and meet him on the coast, and Paul has a message for them. And first part of this last week, I thought that this was going to be the message that I would share with you, was Paul's message to the church. But uh, the first part of it really, really uh, fits well. But then he warned them. 
But he says, You yourselves know how I was with you the whole time, and how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I think that fits. You know, I, I tried to teach you things and preach things that would be, be profitable to you. Uh, and then he says, I know that all of you understand and realize that I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. We talked about spiritual disciplines. We talked about God's grace. I know, we talked about God's grace a lot. Uh, but, you know, grace is so important. We talked about God's love. We talked about our obedience. You know, we, we declared the whole whole perspective of what God wants us to be as a church and then he says and now I commend to you I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified so he, he commends them to God and I want you to know I commend you to God I want you to know God's grace and God's love and continue to know God's grace and God's love. And then in verse 36, it says, when he had said all these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all and they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he has spoken and that they would not see his face again. Now, that doesn't fit totally perfectly. For number one, I do expect you to see my face again. And number two, I don't want you all crowding around and kissing me. You know, <laughs> that part we can, we can let up. But uh, I, I do... Uh, I do covet your prayers. And I do hope, Brother Mike, that when we're done today, we can just gather around and pray for me and pray for Jennifer and pray for the church and pray for James uh, and, and end in that way. And then, and then the other one, and, and the one that I really want to uh, key in on this morning, comes from Jesus himself. through the words and through the pen of John, the apostle. And I hope that, that you've gotten the message from me uh, that, that God loves you. you know, that's what I talked about last week. God loves you. And you know that, don't you? That, that God loves each and every one of you. It's a, it's a truth that is basic to who we are as believers in Christ. It's the very basic message of the New Testament. For God so loved the world that all he did, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. He loves you enough to send his only son 
to give his life for your life. And today, I want to leave you with this message. Not only does God love you, but he's involved in your life. And he wants to be involved more in your life and in the life of your church. That's his desire. 2,000 years ago, the Lord sent seven letters to seven different churches. I read through all of those, and I thought, which church would we be most like? And then I cheated a little bit. I said, which message do I like the most, you know, that, to, to share with you? And, and I really liked the letter to the church at Philadelphia. And as I look through those letters, I, I want to think of the church that I'm a part of is more like this church than it is any of the other church. I don't want you to be like Laodicea. He says about Laodicea, they've lost their first love. They don't know who they love anymore. They forgot to love Jesus. Uh, but to the church of Philadelphia, he he says some very positive things. He tells all but two of the churches in this letter that he has something against them. He doesn't have anything against Philadelphia, or if he does, he doesn't tell them what it is. And so hopefully we don't have anything that the Lord has against us. And then he says some very positive things. Uh, and the thing I like the best and the thing that I hope is the same for you is his promise of opportunity in the future. He says, you've got somewhere to go. You've got something to do. And so listen, listen to the message. I'm not going to read the whole letter. I'm just going to read the first two verses of the letter. He says, and to the messenger of the church in Philadelphia, write, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Father, I ask you to add your blessings to the reading of this word. In Jesus' name, amen. I've told you about my uh, great uncle, Osborne Russell. And it's not true that he's my great uncle. I don't know if I'm related to him or not, but that is his name. Uh, he was a hunter and a trapper. He was a mountain man who explored the West, trapping furs and trading with Indians. Uh, but he was very unusual among the, the, not very unusual, but he was unusual among the mountain men in, in two ways. Number one, he was a Christian. He was a believer. He was an active believer. He was an outspoken believer in Jesus Christ. And so he was a mountain man who also carried with him the message of Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Uh, he knew about that. And the, and the second was he had a classical education. He wasn't a, uh, 
you know, he, he wasn't what you normally think of as an uneducated mountain man. He had an education. He was, a, he, he was an educated person. He was a Christian. And, and one of the ways that we know this is that he wrote a journal. And uh, this last week when we were going through our garage and cleaning out some stuff, I came across that journal again. It's in, it's in a book. Uh, and it reminded me of his story. And it's a story of, of God's concern and care for, for his people. And the, the occasion that I'm, that I'm telling you about, and I've told you this before, so you've heard this before, although it was at least six years ago. You probably don't remember. Um, he, had seen, he had not seen another human for 28 days. It was in the late, late fall of the year. Uh, and, you know, he was by himself. He, was told, he hadn't seen another uh, Native American. He hadn't seen another white person. He, he hadn't seen another individual for almost a full month. And he had run out of supplies. He didn't have enough to eat. He went hungry, except for what he could actually hunt. And it wasn't a good time to be hunting. Uh, he made his way down this high mountain valley. And he was headed for a flathead Indian village uh, that had shown him hospitality in the past. He was, he was hoping for a warm place to sleep and, and some groceries to eat. And uh, as he approached the, the village, there was a wet snow falling. And uh, he was looking with great anticipation towards a place to sleep that was dry and hot food. He was tired and he was cold and his clothes were soaked. Uh, in his journal, he talks about the, the night before this uh, when he spread his buffalo robe out on a hillside and the temperature warmed up enough that the snow began to melt and he found himself sleeping in a virtual river that was flowing downhill and he got soaking wet. Uh, and so in, in that situation, he's headed towards this village. And as he came within sight of the village, the elders of the tribe came out to meet him. And they informed him that they knew him as a friend. They knew he was a friend, but he could not enter their village because just the other day, a couple of trappers had come through, stolen property, killed a young man, uh, discovered their thievery. The young man discovered their thievery, and they killed him. And even though Osborne was not a party to that, he wasn't involved with that in any way. Uh, they were afraid, the elders were afraid that some of the angry young men in the village might take their revenge against Osborne if he spent the night in the village. And so they turned him away. He had to, to leave. And he, was, he writes in his journal that he was deeply discouraged as he turned his horses and rode back up the valley. He searched in the dark for some kind of a shelter. He settled down beside a couple of downed trees uh, cleared a space for his uh, buffalo robe, tried to build a small fire, but everything was wet, and he had trouble getting it started. And finally, he got a small fire started, and just as the small fire began to raise his spirits just a little bit, 
the wet snow changed to rain, melted the snow above him. It fell down on his fire and put it out. Uh, and he was there in the dark and the cold again. So he just wrapped himself in his wet blankets, uh, lay there shivering in the cold. He had nothing to eat, uh, hadn't had anything to eat all day. And here's what he writes in his journal. I lay there for a long while, afraid to even say my evening prayers, lest I show anger to God. He was, he, he was afraid to pray because he, he, he might show his anger to God. He calls God the divine. And at first light, as soon as it warmed up, soon as soon as he could get out, he headed down the valley, and his intention was to pass the village before the inhabitants were awake. And he says, as I came down the valley, I saw smoke in the distance, and I raced my tired horses across the meadow when I realized that the smoke was the harbinger of some great disaster. Now, this is the way he writes, this is the way that mountain man writes in his journal, using big words. I don't even think I know all those big words. He entered the village to discover that during the night, Blackfeet Indians had attacked the sleeping village. Many of the flatheads were killed and wounded. The rest had run into the woods in a panic. The Blackfeet set their tents on fire and stole their horses. And Osborne stayed in the village for three days, tending the wounded, gathering supplies, uh, standing guard lest the Blackfeet returned. He's doing all this for these people who have turned him away. And during that time, he realized that if, he had, if they would have allowed him to stay in the camp that night, as a white man, the Blackfeet would have hunted him down, and he's the first one they would have killed. And then he discovered that if he had succeeded in building a fire to stay warm during the night, the Blackfeet party that attacked the village had traveled within a few yards of where he was camped. And they would have seen the fire, discovered him, and killed him. So his, his take on the situation was that the rebuff of the flatheads, which at the time seemed like a callous inconsiderateness on the part of God. He was mad at God because they didn't let him in the village was in fact the means of preserving his life. And I look at this, that, that passage in that journal and I think about the passage that we read in uh, John, I mean in Revelation that John wrote. And, and I want to, to encourage you, put your trust in the God who speaks. Put your trust in him. Trust him with your life. Trust him with the things that uh, are around. Because, as he writes, he is holy. He is true. He has the key of David. And he opens or shuts and no one can change his decision. Now think about that for a minute. This God that we're going to put our trust into is the God who knows. He says to them, I know your deeds. He says, you don't have a lot of power, but you have a little power. And I think well, that speaks to us. You know, 
We're not a big church that can do lots of things, but we can do some things. We can reach out in some ways. Uh, we have a little power. Not tremendous strength, but some strength. You know, we're a small church in a small town. God knows that. He knows what we can do. And he doesn't expect more, but he expects that much. So we can put our trust in him to do that. And he says, you have kept my word. And the, the, uh, the word word there is used in the context of commandments. You have kept my commandments. You have kept the greatest commandment, that you love the Lord your God. You know, not like Laodicea, they forgot their first love, but, but you love the Lord, and you, you, you continue to love the Lord. And the second, you love your neighbor. You, you love those around you. You care about them. Uh, love one another. Love your neighbor. Love the Lord your God. He says, you have kept those commandments. You have loved, and you have not denied my name. And the, the phrase, you have not denied my name, means that in every attitude, in every statement, every thought, you're taking with you the name of Christ. And folks, that's something we need, we need to remember. Uh, you know, the word Christian, you know what the word Christian is? It's a, it's a little Christ. You're a little Christ. When you, when you, when you walk in the world, you're, you're a little Christ. And as you come in to, to worship, you, it, it's invisible, but you wear a little sign around your neck that says across here, I am little Christ. I am like Jesus. You know, we spent the eight weeks talking about how am I like Jesus, and that's the sign that we wear. I'm, I'm like Jesus. But it's not just when we come into worship. Uh, it's when you walk out into the world, when you walk into the restaurant. When we go into the restaurant this afternoon, we're a whole troop of little Christ. And the people who see us come in there, they know that we're a group of little Christ. They see us uh, as, as Christians. They don't always have good uh, thoughts about what a Christian is. But they didn't always have good thoughts about what Christ was and who he was. As you go into to a business meeting in the church, you're, you're all carrying little Christ. As you go into the world, you have a sign on you that says, I belong to Jesus. He is my Lord. I'm a little Christ. And I think we do a pretty good job of that for the most part, holding up the name of Christ. We do believe the declaration of Jesus. He says, I set before you an open door. You know, i got to tell you, open doors are exciting things. Open doors are exciting times. Uh, and, so I, and so I say this to you, and I, I'm, I'm proud of your team for finding somebody to come in next week. I'm so glad I don't have to even worry about that or think about that. Uh, you're, you're, in, you're in good hands. Uh, but when God opens a door, it's not a time for thumb sucking. You know what that means? It's not a time for pouting. It's not a time for despair. Uh, it, it, it's a time to go through the door that he's opened. So you ought to be looking at this day not as an end, but as a beginning. You're going through a new door to a new time to a new situation, 
to a new opportunity. Uh, because God didn't bring you this far to desert you. And if you think he did, you give me a whole lot more credit than I deserve. The credit is God's. God brings us to these places. Do you remember when Abraham sent his servant to find a bride for Isaac? I think that's one of the most incredible stories in God's word. After deciding, you know, this, this servant of Abraham, you know, can you imagine? Is there anybody in your whole world? Sydney, is there anybody you know that you would trust to go find you a husband? He said, go find me a husband and bring him back. You know, you, no way. No, and, and none of the rest of you would either. Uh, not even your mother. And she's sitting there saying, I will do it. You know, uh, you, you know it's... Uh, but Abraham sends his servant and says, go and find a bride for my son. And uh, so the servant goes and, and he's, he's looking for this, this bride. He's looking for a woman and he prays and and uh, the right woman, he thinks, shows up, and her name is Rebecca. And now he has to go to her family and, and say, you know, my master sent me here to take your daughter back to my country to marry his son. Uh, and it, it's a crazy thing. It's a crazy thing. But he went to his, her family, and he had his testimony, and he made the request that Rebekah be allowed to return with him to marry Isaac, a man none of them had ever seen. They'd never even heard of him. Genesis 24 says, Laban and Bethuel, that's uh, her brothers. Uh, one's her brother and one's her father. Answered and said, the matter comes from the Lord. They heard his testimony. The matter comes from the Lord, so we cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. They said, we've heard God's will, and we hear God's purpose, and we know God's purpose for Rebecca and their only response was to obey. Guys, that's the message I have for you this morning. That's the message this morning. Seek and determine God's will and then follow it unreservedly because he is holy, he is true, he has the keys of David, the keys of David are the keys to the kingdom. And he has opened the door, and no one can shut that door. Your response is to, is to walk through it. So look at the open door and go through it. Let's pray together. Um, Brother Mike and uh, Brother Don and uh, Sister Beth I wonder if the three of you would pray for me 
uh, you just one at a time. You want to let ladies go first, and uh, and then we'll uh, close with a song. Our dear Heavenly Father, what a